Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Whether you are a fellow traveler or whether you're in a touring band like my guest Brian today, you're spending a lot of time on the road and you're looking for some nutrition, something that you can eat that's not going to make you come back from tour or from travel 15 pounds heavier with a puffy face, looking awful, feeling terrible. What you need is energy bits. What are energy bits, Tim? I'll tell you. Energy bits are a plant food source that comes from algae. This is high density nutrition. It has all your B vitamins. It's your plant-based omega-3s. has antioxidants, all your B vitamins, high bioavailable iron, Whatever kind of fad diet or weird diet you're into, paleo, vegan, keto, it meets the standards and requirements for all of those. Energy Bits, energybits.com is your source for plant-based nutrition. And if you go to energybits.com and you put in the promo code VETTER, that's V-E-T-T-E-R, you are going to get 20% off your order. Look better Feel better, be healthier with Energy Bits. Use that promo code VETTER. Okay, on today's episode, I'm joined by my old friend and axe shredder musician, Brian Audley from the band Incendiary. This was really cool and really special for me to catch up with Brian. We talk about this in the episode, but I hadn't seen him in like... Well, I've seen him, but I haven't hung out and, you know, had a conversation like this with him in, in six or seven years. So we get into the success of the band and, uh, you know, kind of being a, an older guy in the hardcore and punk scene, uh, coming of age within that scene and all that kind of stuff. Brian is like, a, he's a true gem. Like, he's a super sweet guy. Uh, he's, he's, I've never seen him, you know, be nasty to anybody. He's been nice to everyone he's met. And like, he's a real, like real true lifer when it comes to punk and hardcore music. Like one of those, those guys that's going to be there till the end. So this was really cool and really special for me to do this with him. I really appreciated his time and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I've got all sorts of new stickers and stuff that I send out for free. So if you want to shoot me an email at, the voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com. I'll send that stuff out to you for free. In the past, I've done giveaways and things like that. Uh, so maybe I'll do that again. If you want to shoot me an email, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give out uh, an incendiary record or a shirt or something like that. Uh, so again, shoot me an email and maybe I'll do like a, a random a random drawing to, to give out something like that. All right, we kind of jump into this one like right in the middle. I just started recording. Like we had been talking for a good half hour before the actual podcast, so uh, you're kind of you're gonna kind of join us like mid sentence here. Uh, hope you enjoy this one, folks. I, I really really loved it. Cool. Catch you next time. Inside you, there's no hope hidden or quiet. 
in the chest A chip on your shoulder and a smile hit the rest You can't cope, no you can't feel We gotta go some pain to show we're still Brian Aldi. Hey, man. <laughs> this is awesome. So we were talking about how, like, I guess I haven't seen you before today in, like, six, seven years. Yeah, at least. Um, but you guys just played, and this, like, we were talking about age, too, and this makes me feel old, but you guys just played your 10th anniversary show, 10-year yeah. ten, ten anniversary yeah. show. 10 years of, like, the band existing, um, I would say, for the first, like, three to four like no one really gave a shit, so it doesn't even like really matter. But like on paper, yeah, the band started in two thousand seven. Okay, and then you put out Thousand Mile Stare, and it hits. Like you have to explain to me how like all this stuff works. So it hits twenty nine on the independent yeah, <laughs> on the independent I mean, Billboard chart. Like all right, so and I, I I'm trying to figure out a way to word this because like I don't want to be like, well, why. But it's like you could, like you could ask that it's insane. But there's so many records, right? That we that we that we love that are independent records. Like, how did this happen? Yeah, I don't I don't really know. Like, well, first of all, I think the like one kind of like glaring obvious thing is like the bar is like significantly lower for things like that. Like, it used to be like like I forget like I'm gonna struggle to find like an accurate number, but like it used to be like you need you needed to sell like like a, like. I remember like Eminem when he fucking dropped a record and he had some like crazy statistic, like he sold like a million copies his first week or something like that. Like the, like a rec now, like f for someone to have like the number one record on billboard, like you can get that with selling like 15,000 or something like that. Where like, okay, you know, go back 10 years ago, if you sold 15,000 records, you'd be dropped from your label like yeah, immediately. Sure. So did like they obviously you got those statistics of like how many units are moved that week or whatever more, more or less and like there's a lot of um with like streaming services and stuff too like yeah. a lot of it is like what's called like album equivalent streams so like x amount of streams on different platforms quantify and roll up to like one album sale oh so really so things like that Even like all Pandora kind of, all kind of factor like Pandora Spotify Apple Music. Like shit like that kind of like all contributes and rolls up into that like overall number. Um, but yeah, it was definitely like surreal. So I think it's less about like, oh, our band's so sick and we sold so many records and more that like the bar and like barrier to entry to like do something like that is a lot different and lower. But I also do but think- still, yeah. I mean, it's still sick. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's like, talk about one thing that like instantly like gives me credibility with like my mom uh -huh. was like, was like that. Like, oh shit, like you're like actually doing it here. And like that week also, like this is something like I, I would think you would geek out about, but like that week, like Metallica is on the, the indie charts that week too. Yeah. And it's like, that's oh, insane. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, well, that was interesting too. Like when, cause we were like, I was obviously like very like acutely following the stuff on like the iTunes chart when the record came out. Um, 
mostly because like um, the guy who put out the record, me and him, uh, Justin from Close Casket Activities, me and him have like a very close relationship. And like the day we released the record, we were like talking all day about everything and following this and that. And he was very interested in like the uh, the chart placement on uh, on iTunes. And what was interesting about like the metal charts and stuff was that like probably like nine out of the top 10 records on the iTunes metal chart at all times are all like legacy albums, like four out of five, at, you know, four metallic albums are on there. Black album, Ride the Lightning. Like it's all still classic albums that are like the most sold on iTunes and stuff. And then every once in a while, like, you know, the week a new record comes out, like somebody will crack in there for like a little bit and like, and shake it up a little bit. So like when something like this happens, right? Um, I think, have you, has, have you put every everything you've done, even all the splits are on closed casket? Um... Most of the technically stuff. now, yeah. Okay. So like our first our first seven inch, no, it was on this little label, like that folded shortly after that came out. Oh no, first seven inch, and then our first LP Crusade came out on this indie label, uh, Eternal Hope Records, who folded shortly after the release of that LP Crusade. Okay. Um, the two of the three splits um, were not on closed casket. Um, the split with Suburban Scum came out on a label called Mayfly, which I think is still around. And the one with a band called Understrained came out on Trip Machine Laboratories. And then the third one, the one we did with Zabalba, came out on Closed Casket. Um, more recently, the Crusade LP and the Suburban Scum split were re-released through Closed Casket. Okay. So like, yes, now all of those splits have been released on Closed Casket. And like, reason that we did so many splits, you might be asking yourself, like, why would you ever do that? Um, it's because honestly, like that was the only opportunity we had to like release new music. Like when we, after the LP came out, um, the label that put it out, like kind of folded. Um, I, we bought all the records back ourselves, um, and just sold them through like, you know, our big cartel online store and like through shows, whatever. Um, and then sold a couple off ourselves to like some, some distros. But after that, like we didn't really have a, like, like no one was really like beating down our door to like release music for us. So whenever anybody approached us about anything to release music, we were like, yeah, sure. So those splits were kind of like the only real option that we had at the time. So then when you make a blip on the radar like this, like in and you're on the billboard chart, does that garner more interest? Like, have there been bigger labels that have reached out to you? Yeah. Yeah, actually. Um, Nothing that like, nothing, there was a few that were like, or there was one really that was like, oh shit, this is fucking cool. Um, and you know, we, we fielded it. We, we had, we had a call, like we, you know, we felt it out, but like, honestly with like, with our band, like we're not like, there's no like, there, there's, it's difficult to think of like what a bigger label could do for us that our current label doesn't considering yeah. where we're at as a band and like what our plan and like kind of like model is like for us, there's no, there's no fucking warp tour plan or like, there's no, like we're trying to like crack into this world of bands and like get on this big thing. Like we just want like, you know, our, our current label does an excellent job with like distribution, getting us everywhere we need to be, making the records exist. I have a very direct line into him and like we can make, makes everything we need happen. So it's like, I have a hard time. Like, you know, even when we got that call, it's like, oh cool. But like, how cool would this actually be? Like, what can you do that? Like, we're not already getting yeah. that would make me like consider, consider this. You don't want to share who that is, right? Um, nah. Okay. I can, I can tell you later. Okay. So then like a, a number of you, like yourself included, have really like a, a 
adult career sure. type of job. So like, is there anything that could entice you out of that? Like some massive tour package or something like that? Or like probably not. Like yeah. what's, what's interesting about this band too, it's like, and then you know this cause you know, most of us from like before and during this band, yeah. like this was the band we all started doing like after we had done bands that like were more active and we had all toured in like more, uh, full-time capacities. Like I was touring full-time with, roadieing for This Is Hell and, like, playing in, in another band, Soldiers. Um, Matt was in Crime and Stereo. Right? Matt, our bass player, was in Crime and Stereo. Dan, our drummer, was touring full-time in some other bands. And, like, Brendan had never really done a band full-time before, but, like, he was around our crew of friends. He had recently moved back home from college. He was always out of state at, uh, at school in New Hampshire. He was recently back home in New York full-time. So Incendiary was the band that was started as a way for us to, like, still be active and play shows and, like, have a reason to hang out with each other and like be creative and, and like be involved, but without any kind of like aspirations to tour or do anything or like, you know, it was never supposed to be like a full-time project or anything, but for, for one reason or another, this is the one that seemed to like get the most traction. So um, I think a large reason, um, a big reason why it, why it works so well is because we are all on that same page. Like all of us without exception have full-time careers. We did at the start of this band, and we still yeah. do now. We have careers, you know, we have, I mean, some of us have families, we have responsibilities at home. Um, and I think, you know, what helps is that we're all on the same page with that. Like, there's nobody is trying to, like, pull back and slow us, slow down and do less. And nobody's trying to, like, pull ahead and, like, we want to make it, go for it. Nobody's trying to do more. So we're all kind of down to put the same amount of you know, we're down to put like a week of vacation time every year that we get toward yeah. the band, pick out something cool, somewhere place, somewhere different to go and, and work around that. Okay. I was thinking about, and like, um, not like you guys are like these like big rock stars now or something, but it's funny because, uh, most of the people I talk to on here are just like, just like normal, normal guys. When like, I would think like, Oh, like, you know, these are people of, of more influence than I am. Like they're doing something that, that, uh, people have their eyes on. And I was thinking like, we were talking about indecision earlier and I can remember going to like a Halloween show on Long Island and like, a, there's a band doing like all the indecision covers. Yeah, and I like, that. you know, day. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 17, you're, I think you're like t a couple years older than me, so you're like 19 and like just geeking out over that and it's awesome. And now it's like, you're like, you've played with indecision. Like you, you hang out with those guys and stuff like, yeah. do you still geek out over stuff like that or is it just normal now? Um, it is, I, I geek out when I go back and think about it, uh -huh. but it is, it is pretty normal now. Like, yeah, like Tom and Justin are like actual like friends of mine now. Like I, I, I just came from work. Like me and Tom, like bullshit on Gchat all day, like all day about stuff. And, um, yeah, like I remember like, obviously like indecision has been probably, it's probably the single biggest influence on me musically, like, like period. Um, and I remember when, like, before I knew Tom or knew any of them, like, when Tom first came to, like, an, in, a, like, an incendiary show, terrible show, but, like, first came to a show, I, like, was totally geeking out. I was like, holy yeah. fuck, that's the guy from the decision. <laughs> like, bought one of our seven inches. I thought it was, like, the sickest shit ever. Um, but, yeah, and time goes by, and it's, like, getting the, like, getting, like, the, uh, getting the respect and, like, um, attention from, like, that generation that, like, we were trying to, like, admire, like, that shit means more to me than, like, anything else, like, 
you know, it's, it's definitely cool when like kids who are like younger kids who are like active and like participating in hardcore now um, are into what we're doing because I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of the ones that like drive our success. They're the ones who like come out to shows and like go off for us. Um, but like when, when someone from like the generation that I grew up admiring, um, cause I know how hard it is to keep up with new bands when you get older, when someone from the generation above me kind of like signs off on what I'm doing, like that shit means like a thousand times more than like anything else ever does. Like I'll put like also up on that is like this past summer when like silent majority did a handful of reunion shows, like getting asked to play one of their shows. Like I said this after like leading up to and after the show, I'm like, that's the most important show I'll ever play. Like, I don't like it. Maybe it's not the biggest show in terms, in terms of turnout or reaction, although the turnout and reaction was great, but like, you know, having like, you know, Tommy Corrigan, literally the guy who like founded Long Island hardcore and like the thing that had like the single biggest like impact on my life, giving me his blessing and being like, yo, you guys are like doing it the right way and like kind of carry pushing it forward in a way that like, I approve of and I back like that's like the biggest compliment I could like ever receive. It was just like such like a, like a sick validating thing for me. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, I know, like, I feel like you probably get it and maybe like, maybe that comparison maybe or, or example maybe lost on some other people, but like, it was just like the biggest, most like validating thing that could have happened for the band. Even though like, you know, like, like to me, that was cooler than the billboard thing. The billboard thing was like, oh, cool. Like my mom thinks that's cool. And like people in the office who like find out about what I do, like were super confused by that. Um, and it's a way of like validating it, like kind of outside, but like, you know, the silent majority thing and getting, getting that like respect from the elder generation that I grew up emulating, like that means like a thousand times more than any of that. I get that totally. I mean, we were just talking earlier a couple of weeks ago. I had Jeff from Modern Life is War on, and like again, they they never really, I don't know, they never really became a big band, even within the hardcore scene. Um, I don't know. I don't really think they ever got their due. But like, yeah, like <laughs> after we recorded, we talked for a little while, and he's like, we were talking about this before, but like he was saying, like, oh, like I listened to your episode with the Vietnam vet, Frank Scalero. And like, I loved that. And you've inspired me to maybe want to try to do my own episodes. And I'm like, like, what are you talking about? Like, you have to understand, like being like an adolescent kid without a lot of, uh, without a lot of like avenues to go like do things that I enjoy. And I found something that I enjoyed and it's this music yeah. and you were playing it. Like you were my Henry Rollins, whereas like yeah. maybe Tom was yours or, or whoever. Um, yeah, like what are you talking about? Like I like I'm doing something cool in your eyes. So no, I get that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's like super. It's just like validating. That's cool. Um, you, so you were saying like uh, that the model is kind of when everybody can link up like uh, a vacation time to do some touring. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about uh, like how like you just went to Japan. Like how does how does that come about? Oh, that was unreal. Like so, Japan had been like. Japan had been a thing that like we wanted to do, like a big goal, pers like personally, I've always wanted to go to Japan, just like myself, right? And then, you know, we started having like a lot of like peer bands, like bands that like either on our label or from like kind of like our same scene and like active around the same time, we're all going. Um, and there's, uh, there's a couple guys over there that are like, um, that bring bands over and kind of do all the, the tour managing, set everything up. They run a record store. They, they run a fest over there and give American bands a chance to come over and play. And we had been, we'd been linked up with them. Um, and then 
this year, the timing just like, just like worked out. And with the release of the new record, it was like the perfect time. Um, and yeah, the offer was there and we were just like, all right, this year, like we're going to put our, like, you know, the dedicated time that we put aside personal time that we do away from work towards the band, we're going to put it towards Japan this year. And that's what, that's what we did in, in September. So do they like, uh, whoever's managing that tour, do they pay for flights? Like, how does that stuff work? Um, so they don't, they don't pay for a flight. It, it makes sense. It all, it all shakes out and makes sense. Like, so we, we pay, you know, we lay out for flights. Um, they sort out like everything else, like the transportation, places to stay, things to do along the way, booking all the shows, obviously. Um, and then, you know, you make the money back selling merch and then, and then doing whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's basically like, I honestly feel like I'm like cheating the system sometimes. It's like, oh, like I get to like go to Japan with my friends. Yeah, it's awesome. Like see this crazy place pretty much on somebody else's dime. And like, all I have to do is play guitar for like a half hour every day. <laughs> what was the reception like? It was great, man. Like, so there was four shows there. The, um, the festival we went over for was called Blood Axe Festival um, in Tokyo. Blood Ox? Blood Axe. Blood Axe. Blood Axe, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was great. That was the third show of the tour. So the first, the first okay. day was in, um, was in Osaka. And that's where we ran into our friend, okay. Jess Starr. Yeah. Shout out Jess Hi, Starr. Jess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, that show was like, that was the first show there. And it was like a little, like, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't a great show, but it was cool. I, I mean, I'll play at a fucking You're subway in Japan. station. Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. Japan. yeah. <laughs> um, then um, the second show was in uh, Nagata, which was, which was like pretty, pretty good too. Then the festival was like fucking insane. It was like 1,100 people there or something, like massive venue, um, amazing reaction. Kids like knew, our, knew all our words. We sold out of like literally every piece of That wasn't Tokyo? That was in Tokyo. Okay. The festival in Tokyo the third day. Um, sold out of literally every piece of like merchandise that we brought with us. Um, uh, the like, the reaction was funny. Like between, between songs is like kind of what, what I noticed it. Cause like everyone is so polite and respectful that like, you know, we'd, we'd finish playing a song or like a couple songs and take a, take a break. And I'm used to like, you know, people clap and then you just kind of hear the like, you know, bottles clinking and people coughing and people smoking and talking or whatever, just like bullshitting while you're, while you're waiting for your next song in Japan, it was just like dead silent. Like you had their like undivided attention between songs. And like, I would like nudge Brendan and be like, Yo, you gotta like say something like this guy. Yeah, 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 it's, weird. <laughs> it's the same way. Like we were talking about Muay Thai earlier, but like, yeah. um, it's the same way with MMA. Like, do you, do you know this? So like with, um, you know, like here in America, if you've been to an MMA event, it's like j just screaming and craziness. And like, I, I went to, I went to a couple of Muay Thai events in, um, in Thailand and it was nuts. But like, if you watch even like a UFC event in Japan, it's like, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. It's just like super. And then like, you know, clap. Yeah. Just very polite, respectful. Yeah. So there's no kids like stage diving. Oh, there like, is for oh. sure. But I mean like between songs, okay. like, it's like they clap and like, you know, give you some applause and then they're just like, like locked on you, like waiting for you to like do something like. That's awkward, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was great. And then we played, the last show was, um, also in Tokyo, uh, at Antinoc, which is kind of like a legendary, like punk venue, which was a cool place to play. And that show was, show was rad too. So what were like the bands like that you were playing with? 
Um, yo, a lot of them are good. Yeah. Like really good. Like the quality of band was good. And I think it's like, cause some stuff out of Japan is like super weird. <clears throat> yeah. Nothing was like, nothing was weird in, in like, in the sense that it was like far out, like ahead of its time. I'd never heard of anything like that, but just like, they were like good bands. Like they had their act together. They sounded good. They had good songs. Like even from the first show we played with some, like, you know, what appeared to me as like a, like, like a high school metal band. But like they ripped, like all the kids were like great at their instruments. They sounded good. They had like real songs and had it together. Um, and then the festival we played, like there was probably like three or four different bands that I was just watching, never even heard of. And was like, damn, this is like real good. Cause I mean, touring the States, like I think it's like, you know, it's very like every town you go to it, there's like, you know, four or five local bands yeah. all kind of sound the same. Like maybe they're not ready to have a, like it's, it's almost like too easy to be in a band now that like, I think, Sometimes they start and play shows before they may necessarily be ready to. Yeah, it makes sense. But um, over there, I don't know. Maybe it's just like really harder tight. to start. Yeah, it's like every band that played every show was like ready to play a show, you know? Wow, man. Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was surreal. And like the like the tour manager we had, uh, this dude, Koba, he sings in a band called Loyal to the Grave. Um, like, the guy is like an absolute saint. Like, took care of like every single detail, like our travel, our the places to stay, vehicles, gear, everything. And then even along the way, he had like like touristy stuff for us to do, like taking us to Buddhist temples okay, so and different parks stuff. and like little like offshoot things. Like he was he was just doing like such like a great service to like like on both sides of the table. Like he was like proud to show his country yeah. to like us and share his country with us while also like getting our music over to everyone in his country. Like the guy was just like, like an absolute saint. I mean, man, if I could relate that to, I've talked about this at length when I do like my solo episodes, but like I've been, I haven't been to Japan and I've been all over Southeast Asia. Japan is not Southeast Asia, but, uh, Everywhere you go, like people are like super proud of their their culture yeah. and and like super proud that you're there. And if you're willing to learn and not be like the ugly American, and you're like, oh cool, show me stuff, super friendly and awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you guys ever played Europe? Yes, we played. Yeah, we played mainland Europe a few shows. Oh, in, I know this actually. In oh, two thousand like eleven. Okay. Um, because you played that huge festival. Uh, Grows Rock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we did that in June. Um. Yeah, we, we did like a DIY tour of a few mainland Europe shows and UK in 2011. Um, it was cool, but like, honestly, like we, at the time we had like no business being over there. We like really? maybe had, I think we had one of the split seven inches out, maybe two of them at the time. Um, but it was a total DIY tour. I mean, it was super fun. All the shows happened. We got linked up with this other band over there that kind of like helped us out logistically with like transportation and gear and stuff. And it was super fun. Um, then we went back a few years later just to the UK and did um, that fest called Outbreak Fest up in Leeds um, and a few mainland, UK, uh, I'm sorry, a few UK shows. And then just this past uh, this past spring, we did um, that Grows Rock Fest in, in Belgium. How was that? Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay. So again, like maybe for like <laughs> people in bigger bands or something, like that's super normal. But you know, like... Like I know you as my buddy and like yeah. like a hardcore kid and like yeah. to be playing a fest with thousands of people. Yeah, well like yeah, it was it was pretty surreal. Like the lineup alone was like when I was looking at it, it was like like fucking Deftones and like Pennywise, um, Gorilla Biscuits, just like huge bands that like I grew up like like never in my life thought I'd even be on the same flyer as, let alone like the same show. And I mean to be clear, it's not like 
it's not like we were opening for Deftones. Like Deftones played like a different day on like a far larger stage. But either way, right. I can say I played with the Deftones yeah. kind of still. Um, it was it was like honestly surreal. Like I've the, seen the videos and the reaction was cool. To it was that very too, cool. Yeah. yeah, we played like a handful. It was like it was. I mean, strategically worked out that like we played that thing like a few a few weeks before the record came out. Um, and we played a few new songs and they went over well. Um, we played outside during the day, which was like a little strange usually, but it was cool, man. Like, it's also it was a little the, awkward kind of being so detached from the crowd. Yeah, like, but like the stage that we played on, because at first we were like, there was like, I think there's three or four stages and we were on by far the smallest of like all of them. And, you know, at first we were a little like, ah, oh, damn, like would have been cool to have been on like that huge stage that like Gorilla Biscuits and like, H2O and shit are like are on like that seems like that seems like it's like wild over there but like the dude who like booked us was like nah like trust me like this is like better for you guys um, and he was right because it was the most like a hardcore stage there was there's no barrier or anything um, it was wide out in the open it was a pretty like lower stage so like kids could like dive and stuff so while it wasn't like it maybe didn't like appear as cool from like the outside like actually playing the show felt a lot more natural and it was it was totally for the best just like the level of professionalism on that shit is like so crazy and like like me and Brendan Brendan's a, a singer in my band like big Pennywise fans like since we were like kids and we had this like ongoing joke about like oh we're gonna like party with Pennywise and shit and then like we like actually kind of did like the guy Fletcher the guitar player is this fucking animal drinker dude and like had a couple beers with him we watched like their whole set like on stage with Pennywise like we were like drinking all day, but like hammered singing like bro him on stage with Pennywise. Like it was, oh my God. It was fucking awesome. They were always like the warp tour band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. So so here's a question. And like if you don't want to speak for Brendan, that's totally cool. I get it. But like um I think like both of you work uh like in the financial world is that fair to say uh not so much finance but um advertising we both work in ad tech advertising technology. Okay. And uh, the content of Brendan's lyrics, like in, in some ways, I would I would even call like uh, Thousand Miles Sir like a protest record. Like, yeah, you know, um, kind of anti-establishment in the terms of like um, uh, maybe like a without explicitly stating things like a, a little bit of a vague way of looking at like what like capitalism and big industry like and is doing to like the common man, like. Do you guys, do you worry at all about like your worlds colliding, like the band and the content from the band meeting up with like your career trajectory? Um, I think I know what you're saying. And my, I probably worded that horribly. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know what you're saying. Like, it's like, let me know if I'm on base with this. Like, it feels like I'm living like two lives kind of like my work, work office life doesn't really get the band side. They're cool with it, but like, I don't expect them to understand that. And like people from like bands, hardcore world have a hard time picturing me in like an office setting well yeah I, I guess more so like would you ever would, would you ever be like nervous that your boss would sit you down and be like hey like this is like this is hurting our image or whatever for the company that I nah, work for personally no um, I work so I work in like in ad tech and like a very much like kind of like startup digital world um, very young very casual so okay. like things like that like while I do try to keep it pretty quiet um Things like that, like, are almost kind of like, like thought finally of. Like, it's kind of like cool to like have interests outside of work in like that kind of like digital startup Google world. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. But to answer your question, like, I do try to keep, or I tried to keep the band thing pretty quiet for a long time, for a variety of reasons. A, you know, I'm there 
to have a job. I have a career that I take very seriously. Like I don't want anybody at my job to think I'm not dialed in there, not focused in there because I have this other thing going on that's like more important to me. Um, also, you know, I don't want to be the guy that talks about his band all the time because that guy is like usually pretty lame. Yeah. You know, like it's cool that people are interested in it. And like when people like people find out and it's like pretty I mean, I've been at this company for like four years now. So like everybody knows everybody like, you know, it's pretty common knowledge now. And like I really am appreciative when people like take interest in it and ask me about it. And like there's been people from work that have like come out to some of our shows, which I, I really oh, do appreciate. Cool. I always I always preface it with like, yo, this is like not for everybody. Like, yeah. I appreciate you want to support, but this is not like, I don't know. This isn't like, you might want to just like stand in the back and chill out. Cause it's like not for everybody. Just like be careful. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Like negatively affecting my life. Like I think honestly, like I'm just so thankful of this like delicate balance I've struck where like the band having like the band be a thing that like keeps me from feeling like, oh, I don't just work all the time. You know, it's like, I have this other thing I can do. I can be creative with my friends. I can travel. Um, you know, that kind of grounds me at work. So I don't feel like all I do is work all the time. Um, cause I work a lot, man. I'm, I'm coming straight from work here. I work, you know, yeah, yeah. nine to six, 50 hours a week at least. Um, and you know, on the other side of the coin, you know, having, having a career, um, kind of makes me feel better about the fact that like, you know, I still play in a hardcore band, you know, the same way I did when I was 16, you know, like not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but like, you know, I understand the perception of that a lot of people, and I don't subscribe to this at all. I'd like to think I'm the antithesis of this. Like a lot of people think that hardcore is something that like you're supposed to grow out of, or, you know, it's a bit juvenile or like they act like they were never doing that. Like, I'm sure we could fucking, we could probably list the name of 10 people we know right now that kind of have that attitude of like, oh, you're still doing that? Yeah, I remember when I used to do that, that thing when I was like a kid or whatever. Like, I don't subscribe to that. Um, but like, you know, having a full-time career makes me feel like, you know, I do have some structure and stability. Um, and it makes me just like appreciate that I do still have that more and still have that network and still have that outlet, you know? No, I get that totally. You know? I mean, I'm one of those people that kind of grew out of it, not because I was like ashamed of it, but because I got so caught up in work. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, honestly, like I don't even like, I'd like to think I would still be as as involved and active as I am now, even if I wasn't in a band, but I don't know if that's true. Like it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's funny because uh, this is sort of my creative outlet. I think like I'm creative with ideas. I don't really have... I think I can write well. I don't have quite a like I don't have a musical talent or anything like that. But like for the last year, like this is has, has like sustained me. Yeah. Like like I don't know. And I think it's important, man. You gotta yeah, have something yeah. else. You gotta have something else going on. Yeah. I I think more and more people are starting to see that. Like with, I mean, Matt in your band is always posting like on social media all this like. Uh, like political stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But like he posted something about like, you know, <laughs> how almost globally everybody's starting to like reject the 40 hour work week and things like that because it's just not sustainable long term for your happiness and your yeah. productivity and things like that. So, no, I totally get that. It's not, it sounds like you're almost in like the perfect situation. I, I, I really am. I'm so thankful for it. And yeah, I'm just like cool. hyper aware of it and trying to like hang on. And like it gets crazy, man. Like every time I think I'm like, all right, both sides of this are kind of like at their all time craziest something else will happen and just push both sides. Like this time, I guess it was two years ago, right now it was like last two December of 15. Um, 
we were we got an opportunity to do like a week of shows with like Terror, who was yeah. like, I mean, I fucking love Terror. And like, they're like one of the biggest, you know I love Terror. Like, and they're like one of the biggest, most respected bands like from our world, still active. Um, I mean, come on, like Scott Vogel's done so much for yeah. so many people. Yeah, yeah they're, and they're incredible. And they're, they're still, they're like a machine. And they're like a band that like, we we emulate, like we're, we like look up to a band like that, that's like still at their age, still doing it, purely playing hardcore. Um, by their own terms and like making it work at a large scale. Um, so we got an opportunity to do that and we were able to make it work. And like literally the same week, like my company was like, I, you know, I worked for a startup at the time that was acquired that week. So I'm like, fuck, like I'm probably you might like- lose your job, yeah. No, no, it was all positive things. Oh, okay. it, was, it, was, it was great, but it was like, fuck, like I'm probably like the only guy in the world that's like about to go on tour with terror <laughs> and like have like all these crazy like stocks vest in like his uh -huh. like his company like just like stuff like that and like even when I was in Japan like um you know I got a, I got a phone call literally the first the first morning I woke up in Japan so it was like afternoon evening back here from uh, president of my company who you know probably like the only guy who I would pick up the phone for um you know while I'm on vacation quote unquote. Um, and he's like, Hey, Bryce, like, just want to let you know, like, you know, um, so-and-so, uh, decided to leave the company. Like when we get, when you get back, like, we're going to be looking at you to kind of like step up and like fill in this role. And I'm like, man, like I was, I was thrilled. Sure. But it's like, every time I think it can't get any crazier, like something does, you right. know, it's like, Oh, tour with terror and like an acquisition. And then like tour in Japan and now like an elevation to some kind of like senior leadership position I need to step into. Like it just keep both keeps getting like crazier and crazier. But like, I think that keeps it like interesting for me too. Cause then it comes like a game. It's like, how much can I fucking take on both sides of this and still keep it on the rails? Yeah, man. It's interesting. Like you answered this already, but, and this is going to be a long winded way of asking this, but like, um, so like a lot of your like, what's the word? Like, uh, <laughs> this is cheesy, but like you're a lot of your like contemporaries, I guess, like, like, uh, incendiary. Like if you, if you watch the Amoeba music episode with Todd Jones, like yeah. he, he picks your yeah. new record as one of the albums. Like there, again, you've answered this, but there's, there's nothing that could be like, let's say it was something huge and was like, Hey, we want you on this three month tour. There's nothing. That would like be like I'm, like, I'm like, diving in both feet full time. Yeah, thirty three. Like something massive, like where you guys would be like an actual, not to say you're not a touring, but you know, but you know what I'm saying, like a mainstream artist or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't, like I don't. I really don't know because I think I think the kind of like limited supply that we keep of our band, not by design, just by like you know, it just like is what it is. Like I think that kind of like helps too. Like. Mm, that makes sense. You know, like we don't tour full time. We're like, you know, pretty upfront about that. But you know, I think it makes whenever we do anything a little more, a little more special because it's it's mm. not like oh they just came through, you know, last month. I just saw them last month. I'm good on this one. Or like oh they're coming back next month with you know a tour package that I like better. I'll just go to that one. Like we have like a very nihilistic approach. Like when we play like anywhere, it's like. You know, the first time we played Seattle, like never in my life did I think this band would play Seattle. We were like, never thought we'd play here to begin with, may never come back. So if you care at all in the Pacific Northwest, like right, this might be it. Show up and um, I mean, off. fate would have it that we were lucky enough to play Seattle, you know, three other times <laughs> yeah. or two, if not three other times after that. And it's like one of my favorite cities wow. in the world. 
Um, but you know, I think it just makes things like that much more important. Like, you know, and again, it's not like some like grand design, like, cause people will approach me about that. People from like, you know, bands a couple years before us who would like had the old model or like, you know, had the other, the mid two thousands model where like it was just tore into the ground, tore, tore, tore eight months out of the year. And they, they got burnt out on it that a lot of them claim that's what caused them to like stop doing their band or cause their band to break up. And I'll see them now and they'll be like, man, I wish we did things the way you guys do it. Like you guys are so smart. You got it all figured out. And I'm like, yo, we didn't like, this isn't like us. This is some grand design. This is us pushing it as far as we can within our limitations. You know, it's not like we didn't start this band with like, we're only going to play two New York shows a year and we're only going to keep, we're, we're never going to tour. We're only going to play, like fly out here and there. It's like, we were just trying to like keep up with the things as they came in, you know, like we never wanted to be perceived as, as just a local band because I think there are some bands that start up where like, oh, no, we're just, we're just going to play at the bar. We're only playing at our friend shows and they'll get an offer for something and be like, no, we can't play Boston. We're, we're a local band. We don't tour. But for us, it was like, we would get an email or, you know, an offer and we'd be like, oh, let's, let's see if we can make that happen. And like, we'd, we'd play Boston or like, you know, and then that radius just started getting a little bigger. Then it's like, oh, you got asked to play Baltimore. Like, oh, let, yeah, let's, you know, we'll, we'll leave right after work. We'll get there just in time to play. And then maybe we'll book a show on Saturday. And like, you know, we would just keep pushing that circle like that. And then it's just, it's just kept getting crazier. And it's like, oh, somebody wants to book us in Orlando. Um, yeah, I guess we, I guess we could do that. Like we'll take off a couple of days from work leave early, get home tired and, and make it happen. Yeah. It's like a super organic way to approach it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we weren't like, we weren't like cramming it down people's throat. We were kind of letting that come to us and seeing if we could make it work. And like the, the, the frequency in which we play is just the maximum that we can. That's interesting. This is, this is maybe a super strange comparison or, 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 or to kind of hammer home your point. But like, this is a band, like you played totally different style of heavy music, but like, the, there was a while, at least when we were younger, when like like Poison the Well was a really big band, yeah. right? And I saw like I saw something recently on them where they were playing shows, and it honestly was a little bit like kind of like depressing. Like they, uh, 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 the, the, their big song was like that song Nerdy, Nerdy yeah, fucking right. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, I saw that when I was like 16, right? So I'm 31. So what, like 15 years later. Yeah. And like, that's still the song they're playing. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing past that. Like, I, I saw a video recently of that and I was just like, it's yeah. kind of cringy. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, all right. <laughs> this is something you have to talk to me about. So, uh, when I was, uh, uh, a young kid, I was really into wrestling. I know you've oh, you've yeah. always been into wrestling. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I I can't talk with a lot of like information about this. So I need you to explain. So you guys became like, the walkout music or like the intro music for a yeah. current wrestler? Yeah, kind of. Um, All right, tell, <laughs> tell me tell me about this. Yeah. So let's start with this. So yeah, correct. I'm a huge wrestling fan. Yeah. Always have been. Still am. And like it like really came to a head over the summer. Like. So, um, the other guitar player in our band, Rob, he went to, uh, music school in Berkeley, uh, up in Boston. Um, one of his, uh, one of the kids that he was friends with up there or two of the kids that he was friends with from Berkeley, um, are now, um, they call themselves CFOs. They're like the in-house, uh, producers, write, record, perform all of the entrance and theme music for the WWE. Wow. So... Yeah, so <laughs> they kind of like, 
you know, I don't know how, how in touch they were over the years, but um, they recently moved back to New York, I think. Um, Rob brought them to, they came to one of our shows in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Bazaar uh, about a year ago, yeah. last, last November. Um, and they kind of reconnected there. Um, one of the dudes, John, moved to Greenpoint, where we all live. And, um, you know, they, they were catching up and then they were like, oh, like, yeah, he's like, I work for the WWE. And they were like, oh, you have to meet, you have to meet Oddly. He like loves that shit. So um, I met him and I think, and, you know, I don't know if they, that any of them will listen to this, but I think like, you know, them being like going, like being serious professional musician guys and like having a gig with the WWE now, like, I think maybe like people, like when they tell people that, maybe they don't get the like, reaction that I gave them out uh -huh. of that. Like I was blown away. Like I was like, wait a minute, like you wrote Nakamura's song and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like mind blowing stuff because yo, the me, it is impressive, man. These kids can write, perform and record a song in like any genre, like overnight. Um, super impressive. But anyway, we got to talk in, I didn't even realize like there were, there were people that would write <coughs> intro songs. I oh, thought yeah. they was pick something. Oh yeah. No. It used to be like that, but now the WWE will create all their own music, so now they own it. Uh, they don't have to license, you know, Enter and Sandman or whatever. They can yeah, just, they, yeah. they have music that they own. Okay. Um, so anyway, we hit it off with those guys. Like Rob is friends with them anyway, start bringing them around more. Like I'm just loving talking their ear off about wrestling. Um, and I think they love talking to me about it too, because it's like totally validating for them, yeah. right? Like, like, oh, this guy like actually like fucks with what we do. Um, so a couple months go by and they hit us up and they're like, yo, like there's this wrestler coming up in NXT, which is like the WWE's like developmental, like kind of like B league or whatever. Um, or is it, you know, the way to think about it, it's like the minor league, the farm team. <clears throat> and you know, he's like into hardcore and heavy stuff. He sent us a bunch of stuff that he wants his music to sound like. Cause NXT, NXT, they let the wrestlers um, have input over their music up okay. on the main roster. They don't always have that, but really, when, yeah. So with NXT, they're kind of like grooming these guys more organically, how to do things with the WWE's model, um, and give these guys a lot more creative flexibility. So, um, this dude, Alistair Black, formerly called Tommy end, um, hardcore guy loves hardcore. Like this is the wrestler wrestler, okay. um, Dutch wrestler. Um, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, loves hardcore. <laughs> like I forget this. I forget the bands that he gave. He gave John to like kind of like as like the reference examples, but they were heavy bands. Um, so they they wrote the song. They wrote like an entrance song. They're like, "Yo, you guys." They wanted Brendan to come down and help do uh, and do the vocals for it. So. Wow. We all go, yeah, we go to their studio and basically they had like a song pretty much done um, and they had like a sheet of like pre-approved lyrics because everything has to be pre-approved, like Triple H signed off on these lyrics. So it was our job to kind of go in and like place the lyrics uh, or play, place the lyrics and vocal patterns and write all that around the song that they had like they had written. So we spent a night like drinking beers in the CFO studio, like making this guy's song. And it was Honestly, like the one of the coolest. So you like you play guitar on it. I did not play guitar. Okay, on it. No, I'm totally upfront about all oh, that. Oh, like, okay, okay. The music, the song, that was all John CFOs. Like I they wrote you. all of that. We kind of like advised some things from like through like a hardcore lens. Like oh maybe like don't do that so many times. Do this instead of that. But like the you. music was was all them. Where we came in was like the vo the the vocals in terms of like Brendan actually performing it and then like the placement and arrangement of it. Like, you know, and for me, 
like I kind of help, I help out with that process for incendiary. Like I, you know, I kind of like that part of it actually. Uh -huh. Like I'll, I'll help Brendan and, and give him some, um, you know, some advice on like how to place lyrics and, and do patterns and stuff. <laughs> um, so, so, so like for me, both through the lens of like quote unquote hardcore songwriter and wrestling fan, it was just like the total intersection yeah. of like two of like my favorite things. So like I'm listening to this song and I got these lyrics and like, I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, like for the first 20 seconds, like he's probably just going to be like lurking around like the top of the entrance. <laughs> so we got to have something like this. Yeah. And then the next 20 seconds, he's going to be walking down the ramp. So it should be something a little faster. And then, you know, by now he's going to be in the ring standing there. So like, it should be something hooky in court, like have something that repeats that the crowd will sing. So like, even getting to make it. And then we were like, Brendan did the main vocals. We all recorded gang vocals. It was like a super fun night. And I left there thinking, I'm like, wow, that was like one of the coolest things I've ever did. I was not prepared to see for it to actually debut. I kind of like, oh, we did it. It happened, you know, a few months ago. That's cool. It was just like in the rear view mirror. And then, you know, I had heard just cause I, I watch wrestling still, like I had heard rumors that this guy was supposed to debut WrestleMania weekend on the NXT show. So I'm watching the NXT show WrestleMania weekend as I would as a fan. And all of a sudden like lights go off, match starts and I hear the song and I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, this is oh, it. So I'm literally like, like in my room, like watching this, seeing, a, seeing an arena of people yeah. like, Freak out to to this song yeah. that like we made in their studio like completely and like then like our social media shit was just like fucking was like exploding after that like is that incendiary like what is that like um so that was cool then oh also like the timing couldn't have been better like because we haven't we hadn't put out a record in like four years and it was WrestleMania weekend was like when is that April <clears throat> our record came out in May so timing wise like couldn't have been possibly better to get like some more like exposure and some eyes on the band because the WWE um, did a great job of like, honestly, like promoting our band, like independently of, because WWE is very, very concerned with social media. Like the way you tag things, how much you post yeah, stuff like sure. they, that is like a currency for those guys. <clears throat> um, so they were very cool about like plugging our band, like tagging our band and stuff, like just reposting stuff that we would post. Like they put out a whole thing just about our record coming out. Like, and the WWE's audience and reach is like, people underestimate that. It it's is massive, massive yeah. absolutely massive. Um, so the timing couldn't have worked out any better. Um, and not to spend too much more time talking about no, this. No, this is awesome. I have follow-ups like to this, man. Yeah, <laughs> this okay. is so, so that, that in itself was crazy. This guy's debut WrestleMania weekend, like a month before our record comes out. Crazy. Then this summer, SummerSlam rolls around. SummerSlam is at Barclays Center yeah, in yeah. Brooklyn. I remember um, that. We get an email asking if we'd be interested in performing I, the song live at the SummerSlam or the NXT show that happens during SummerSlam, which is for anybody who watches would agree the biggest NXT show of the year. It's one of it's NXT Takeover Brooklyn. It's every I mean, year. It's, also, it's Barclays insane. Center holds like thirteen thousand people. It's massive. It's an arena. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, Jesus, dude. I didn't at know first. This. You know, Brennan was like, I don't know, like, this could be lame. Like, is it going to be me karaoke walking down to the ring? Oh, we didn't know yeah, what to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, yeah, I don't know. That sounds kind of rough. Um, but you got to do it anyway, though. <laughs> and then we got some more details on it. And what they had in mind was, so um, 
our our friend's band, this band called Code Orange from Pittsburgh, who's like one of the top bands in yeah, metal yeah. hardcore right now. Big deal. Um, big deal band. Um, they their original song was picked by NXT to be like the theme song. So every show, like what? they'll pick like a band song to be like the, the, the official theme song. Code Orange had, their song was picked for the show. I did not know that. So Code Orange was going to be in Brooklyn to perform their original song live on air as the NXT takeover theme song. Then the stars just aligned where it's like, wait a minute, their friends, Incendiary lives in Brooklyn, they're going to be there with their gear playing the song anyway. Alistair Black, the wrestler, loves Code Orange and Incendiary. Like, can we make this all happen? And it did. Like, they rented this rehearsal space. And, and honestly, like, Code Orange, like, killed it. They're such a, like, a real professional. So they played at the Barclays for the WWE? The- yeah. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Live entrance. It's on, like, YouTube and everything. Yeah, like, they Holy did it. Crap. Like, and, like, if Incendiary was going to play it, like, we would do, like, it would probably be like all right like it would be like a hardcore version like very stripped down but code orange is such like a fully fleshed out like they have like keyboards to do all the extra sounds and samples and everything like they nailed the song so they performed it with brendan singing it while like a live entrance for alistair black as he walked to the ring and it was insane dude when i tell you it was one of the the coolest days of my life, like no exaggeration, like top three. Like the night before we were in some practice space in like Gowanus and Triple H shows up to like check out the song and see how it's going. Like met Triple H the next day at Barclays. Like basically I have, I basically personally, I have no business being there. Like Brendan singing the song, Code Orange is playing the song. I'm there as like, basically Brendan's like a friend friend (laughs) and like liaison to like wrestling and like the WWE, you know what I mean? Like, this is how it works. This is this guy. This is like why this is a big deal. Try to put it all in context for him. Um, and, you know, give him some like reassurance throughout the thing. Because when we got there, that's when it hit. It's like, yo, this there is a lot of fucking people here. There is a lot of room for this to go wrong. Like we got to like be on, be on top of our shit here. Um, and it, it went off great. It was so cool, dude. All day we were in the, we were in the locker room just like seeing every wrestler I watch on TV every week and grew up watching, just like walking by us in the hallway. Like I'm in the little catering area, like grabbing lunch and like Kurt Angle and Mark Henry are are sitting down, like having lunch. Like I'm walking through the hallway and like Jim Ross, good old JR is walking past me. And like, I'm like so starstruck and just overwhelmed by it. I'm not even looking at anybody. And like Jim Ross just looks at me and he's like, lunch this way? I'm like, oh no, it's actually this way, Jim. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck? Like I'm telling Jim Ross where lunch is? Like, I love stuff like this. Yeah, it was it was crazy, dude. And again, it was the type of thing where like, it was such a cool day because we were able like, it was in Brooklyn, so like I had a bunch of our friends there. Like my brother was there anyway, like he was going to the show. And like, just being on the other side of that world, even for a day was surreal, man. Like, Man, listen, I love stuff like this. Like I can remember, um, so like like probably like most like little boys who grew up in the late eighties, nineties, like I loved wrestling. It, like uh, I had the original, I'm sure as I'm sure you did, like like the the hard plastic blue ring with like the red, yeah, white, yeah, yeah. and blue turnbuckles. And, like I just imagine like imagine that little boy, like that that's Brian. Would he ever envision no, no, that like 25 years later, he's going to no. be hanging out with these guys? Hell it's no. so crazy. Because of my stupid hardcore band? Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Like I totally feel like, yeah, I feel like I like infiltrated their, that, that industry. That's just like backdoor my way into like 
a sick experience for a day. I don't mean to like harp on money, but like, is there, is there like a residual for that? Or like, does, Um, does Brendan get paid to play in front of Barclays like that? The the short answer is no. Yeah. Very, very little to not really. Again, it, it, a lot of it is, it was. I mean, but how could you complain? Like how cool is that experience? Um, A lot of it was the like, again, that kind of like exposure and that like the way that they tout the social media and currency. And again, they did, you know, they did, they did a good job of like getting our name out there. Like, dude, when we showed up, they had like our fucking logo on like the Titan Tron and shit. And like, you know, even after that, like they tagged us in like the official video and all that stuff. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like we definitely saw an uptick in like, I was going to ask, did that, do you think, did, oh, did that sure. play into the billboard thing or was that I later? I don't know if it played into the billboard thing, but it definitely, like I see it yeah. where I look, people have gotten into our band because of, that song or seeing our name attached to something in wrestling. Like there's not too many like really heavy, I guess there's not really too many like heavy entrance themes now. So like any WWE fan who's into even anything remotely heavy is just grabbing onto that guy's song, you know? Yeah. I mean, most songs are always kind of corny. Yeah. Like they were funny almost. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. It was, it was insane. Like it's, it's surreal. Like when I think about this year, it's like, Oh, I like, did some shit at Barclays Center for SummerSlam. I went to Japan. Like, things, things are all right. <laughs> so, we like, we talked about how um, you guys kind of decide on a time when, you, when you're when you able to do, like, a, a, a shorter tour. Yeah. Like, are, do you, at this point right now, are you looking ahead to, like, okay, here's the next time when we're going to be able to go somewhere? Yeah, like, we try to, like, we have to book pretty far out. And, like, we're in the process of booking 2018 now. Okay. Um have a few things international um, lined really? up. Yeah, nothing I, can, I can't really like okay, okay. say now, but like, yeah, we're doing a few few more international things. And how about writing? Uh, honestly, it's like the furthest thing from my mind right now. Like, really? Yeah, we write like very slow and like this, like if you would have asked me after the last record, after Cost of Living, like our band was like very different pre and post that record. That was kind of the record that like, like Grant, like I know this record was the one that like made billboard or whatever, but like cost of living was kind of like the, the like turning point for the band, like incendiary before that. And after that record, two totally different things. That was the record that kind of like gave us a lot of cool opportunities, got us on a lot of people's radars, got us a lot of like the festival things that we've been able to do. Um, if you would have asked me after that, like I didn't even think we would do another LP after that. Um, really? Yeah. Ever. It's just, it's like, you know, it's, it's hard. (laughs) Um, and it's very time consuming to do it well, as well as like, I would want to do it. And like the reality is man, like you get older, it's like harder to like, you know, we practice like once a week at best for like two or three hours. Like it's hard to like get material together to come together in a way that like you're going to be happy with. And like, it was the first time with, with writing this record, it was the first time I ever felt like I had anything to kind of like live up to, you know, it's like, man, people really like that last record. Like this one's gotta be better. Is, so uh, this is something I don't know. Cause I'm not from this world, but like production on thousand miles there is it, it, to me. And I mean this like with no disrespect is a lot stronger than on cost of living. Like, yeah. Is, uh, is that because of where it's recorded or there's a bigger budget or, um, mostly where it was recorded and who recorded it. Okay. Um, bu- budget, quote unquote, was was slightly larger, yes. Um, but like the producer, Will Putney, that we had is like w- like a huge, like very um, well-established and respected name in like our world of like heavy music. What has he done? 
Um, a lot of like bigger metalcore stuff, like he did like the last Every Time I Die record. He oh, did, well, yeah, I mean, he does a like huge band, yeah, big yeah. stuff like that, like kind of oh, like okay. in, in that world. Um, and he is like a fan of the band. So we had met Will. He's he's like a Jersey hardcore guy too. Um, we had met Will through um, through the Acacia Strain. They're like a bigger metalcore yeah, yeah, yeah. band. They and had I know asked, like of them. Yeah, they had asked Brendan to do a guest part on their one of their oh, cool. records um, that they recorded with Will probably three three or four years ago by now. Um, so we had met Will th through that and and stayed in touch. Um, and when it was time, you know, when it was time to do our record. We're like, yeah, let's see, if, let's see if he's down. And he was, he wanted to like work with us, um, and was able to do it at a price that was like cool with our with our label who was putting it out. Who, you know, for for Will was like a huge discount just to like, work with us, which we're like extremely grateful for because it was one of the best. It was. I, I don't like recording. I've said this before. Like, I don't really like enjoy the process of recording. This was like one of the, probably the only time I've really enjoyed recording. And I think the, you know, the final, the final product, um, like reflects that I couldn't be, couldn't be happier with how it came out. Yeah. It's funny, man, because like, um, like recording and production makes all the difference. Like yeah. we were talking about, uh, indecision a few times, but like, if you go back and listen to those actual recordings, they're kind of flat. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why I like a lot of times when like, you know, people are like, are so into live music because the sound is so much more fuller. Yeah. But like, you know, with, with better recording, like that stuff would sound monstrous. Like, yeah. Yes. And Will gets like, you know, there was a little apprehension before deciding to go with Will because Will was like previously known for doing like more slick, polished, bigger metalcore stuff that like sounds good but like doesn't always doesn't sound like a hardcore record like i hadn't heard him done a hardcore record um but then he had done um a record for our friend's band suburban scum from new jersey um and that sold it for me like i was like all okay. right this guy gets it and like even though his work up until that time hadn't really um appealed to like what i would want an incendiary record to sound like um i knew he liked our band which was like a big plus got where we were coming from and liked a lot of the same things that we were influenced by. Like he loves Snapcase, he loves Indecision, he loves all the same shit that we do. That's you right there. Exactly, yeah. So I felt like I felt like we were in good hands. And you know, um, also like he earned our he earned my trust like very quickly too. Um, I'm like admittedly a little difficult when it comes to like being flexible on like ideas and song stuff that I that I've come up with. Um, and I was like, you know, I'd heard Will was like a little more hands-on with stuff like that. Like if he doesn't like something, he's going to let you know, he's going to like, try to like get, you know, give you some ideas, give you some guidance. And I was like, man, like, I, I hope I like, I respond okay to that. And literally at the first day, like the first three ideas, like minor, minor things, but like the first three ideas that he, that he put out there, I was just like, yep, that's like undeniably better. Like, let's go. So like he earned our trust very quickly. And then it was just so good to have like another voice in the conversation. Someone kind of like outside of the band that's not so close to the project, but also has like a very vested interest in the project, I guess. Are those like those types of decisions, like on, on picking who's going to record the record, are those democratic like uh, decisions or is that like I'll trust Brendan or I'll trust Audley's ear or something like that? Or his, um, his, uh, so again, with our band, like it's not, it's, you know, there are some limiting factors. Like I would love to like 
go to, you know, God City for a week or something and bang out a record. But like, it's, I can't, we we can't afford, like, we don't have the time literally to spend a week in Boston away from work. We can't. So like this record, location and proximity were like a big, were certainly helpful. He lived, um, his studio is in, um, where the hell, Belleville, New Jersey, just like on the other side of the tunnel. I don't even know where that is. Yeah, it's a small, (laughs) small town, but like, it's like, it's like less than a 40 minute drive from the city, from Brooklyn. Okay. Um, so that, that helps. Um, we're kind of limited to like things that were like in our, kind of like in our backyard. Um, there's not like a ton of great options in New York city proper for recording heavy music. Um, so, so that was a factor, but yeah, when it comes to like, it, it is kind of a democratic decision. And like, honestly with Will, it's like, we didn't even think that he would, he was kind of like the long shot. It's like, if that dude would do it for like something that you can work with, like we would love to, but like, we're not going to hold our breath. And then he was down and we're like, yep, let's do it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. I wrote down like some, uh, some quick kind of, uh, performance and then just like hardcore general questions that I had for you. So these are like quick hit questions. Um, your, your favorite venue that you've played. And, and again, like I didn't give you any of these in advance. So I know some of these require a thought. So if it's like too much, don't feel bad about not having an answer. Favorite venue I've ever played. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I know. You know, I've done these with like, I did two music uh, episodes before and I was like, oh, these will be great. And then the people were like, wow, these require a lot of thought. Yeah. I guess I'm like trying to think there's some, first thing that comes to mind. First thing that comes to mind, I'll say um, I always liked or I always thought it was like important when we played um, a Hungarian Hall in Ronkonkoma. Granted, that Whoa, hasn't yeah. been a venue for like, I don't know, probably like six years, five, six years now. But I mean, I'm sure you could agree. Like that was some of the first shows that we grew up going to or at the Hungarian Hall. Um, Hungarian Hall is just literally like a, like a VFW type place um, on Long Island um, that had some of the first hardcore shows that Tim and I grew up going to. Um, and then they kind of had like a second wave when Incendiary was like becoming more active. And we played a couple shows there. And those shows always felt... <clears throat> um, those shows always felt pretty important to me just because it felt like, you know, I was kind of aware of that kind of like full circle thing that was going on there. I mean, even though the place is like, the building itself is like nothing special, like yeah. doesn't even have a sound, it doesn't have sound or anything like that. But just the fact that like we were playing shows in the same spot that we kind of like grew up, like being exposed to this in the first place was cool. Um, and I think to a lesser extent, um, maybe Garden City Ethical Center is, is a lot like that too. Okay. Um, they had some pretty memorable, I attended some pretty memorable shows there when I was younger. And then I had the, you know, the opportunity to play some very memorable That's shows really cool. there after. So I guess, yeah, those are the first two that come to mind. I always thought um, the fact that we played um, Gilman Street in Berkeley was cool. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, in 2000, when was that? 2013, we played, we did a, a weekend, a West Coast weekend with um, Nails, Death Threat, and Twitching Tongues. And the first show was in Berkeley at Gilman Street. And I remember being like very aware of how cool that was at the time. Okay. I mean, maybe you might've answered this with that answer too, but y- your favorite venue that you've ever seen a show at? Seen a show at? Yeah. <sighs> And while you're thinking about that, I do want to like put on record that I feel like, like, you know, I feel like a a little bit of a fraud because like you've always been tied to this and I've really 
become detached from yeah, I mean there's nothing this, there's nothing wrong with that like people's interests drift and like the fact that you still have a, even like a cursory yeah. interest in it now is cool even if it's only through you know via you know your connection to me you know what's weird too man like you you have ever since I've known you man you've been super friendly and like oh, thanks, you, you like you you've always been awesome <laughs> to everybody and I think that when I first got involved in like punk and hardcore music um like I, I had found something that I felt I fit in with and accepted me, but I also like rejected a lot of it. Like I was like, I'm not ashamed to say this now. Like I'm a really confident adult, but like I was not a confident teenager and I would a hundred percent be one of those people that would like look at someone at a show and be like, you don't belong here Yeah. because like, not because I was just a total dick, but because like, I felt like, like when I was, uh, maybe I'm going off the rails here, but when I was very young, like I played sports and then I became, I, I, then I got a little older. I was in high school and like, I didn't make sports teams and like, you know, like jock kids in high school were just like, you know, like kind of jerky. And then like when I would see people like that show up at shows, it was like, no, no, no. Like you rejected me from your thing. Yeah. This is my thing. You can't be part of this. Yeah. But now I was like a 31 year old and I look back at them. I'm like, what? A, that's so stupid. Yeah, I could talk. Uh, yeah. I know. I know exactly. You know, that. yeah. So like, <clears throat> but um, I was, I was too extreme with that. Um, and so when I look back on it, it's like, ah, I, I should have handled yeah. that differently. So not to be like cool guy or whatever, but like I was, I was lucky enough to get into hardcore and all this, like at a pretty early age. Like I remember like. I want to say I was in like seventh grade when I first heard like, you know, VOD and Earth Crisis and Silent Majority, like through. Can I interrupt you for a, a, just yeah, a second? Of course. Sorry. So VOD, mm -hmm. I remember you loving them and I was going back like preparing for this. What the hell is that artwork on that self-titled record? What the drip? It's like the, it's the worst artwork oh, ever. Yeah, it's iconic. It's like clip art. It's iconic. Fuck, dude, you're crazy. That's like iconic uh, cover art. I, get, I was preparing for this. What and is I was it? Like, I have no idea. Yeah, what it's, what it's is that? sick is what it is. I All know. right, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So like, yeah. Classic artwork. Seventh grade, you listen to VOD. Yeah, just like through, um, I had a lot of a lot of like fortunate things going for me. Like I happened to live walking distance from like none of the above records and center each. I don't know if you yeah, remember Yeah, 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 yeah. So like I just, I was able they to get records. Too, yeah. You know, I could I could walk there before I could do anything, and like I I could pick up flyers there, and then there were hardcore shows happening at the VFW in my town, and like Roadhouse Pub, and like just I had just as a, a you know benefit of the circumstances and location, I just had access to this, and I had you know a friend's older brother who had you know some mixtapes that he left around that like I got to he, like be exposed to some bands through, so I would I got into it pretty early, but I was kind of like on my own island, like I didn't really have any friends who were into it also. I had like a couple, I had like one or two kids that I could like convince or get to go to a show with me, but weren't really like dad. They weren't as like drawn to it as I was. Um, so like I never really had like friends at shows or anything. So I think when, um, you know, I got a little more active and started meeting more people at shows, I was like really psyched on that. Cause I was like, oh, this is great. Like I can like, now there, I can. I'm meeting all these people that I can go to shows with, and I can talk to at shows. Like I used to go to shows by myself sometimes, yeah. like just because I wanted to be there. I wanted to see bands. I, I wanted to like <laughs> find more music. Yeah, for now, I love it. Yeah, it's like I prefer it. If anything, um, but um, yeah, I think I think that was the reason I was so kind of like or more outgoing at that time yeah. because I didn't 
at previously, I didn't really have anybody else to like go to shows with. And I was just stoked to have more people to hang out with. No, but that makes sense. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, about the other side of it, about like the, like, this is my thing. Like, yeah. And in hindsight, I, like, I don't quite yeah, agree with it, but I, I understand. Yeah. I get it because I re- like, I remember being kind of like feeling like reverse discriminated against at shows that way, because again, I had been going to shows for you know a number of years before you know there was like there was definitely like an explosion of like hardcore and punk and emo whatever you want to call it on long island in like the very early 2000s basically when i was like a like a junior or senior in high school and i remember going being at shows like as i would and then seeing kids from my school who started showing up there and would look at me and be like Oh, what the fuck is that like lacrosse player doing exactly, here? Exactly, and it's like, yeah. dude, like you don't even, you don't even know. Like, yeah. Like I know you just, you know, you just found out that from autumn to ashes is happening, <laughs> but like yeah. I'm here for strong point, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> no, no, yeah. Um, I, I just went like deep down that rabbit hole, but yeah. my question was, <laughs> um, favorite venue that you've seen a show at? If 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 something comes to mind. Um. Yeah. Damn. That's. A, loaded question I will say I mean maybe it's just because it's fresh um, I just saw brand new play at that King's Theater that's in Brooklyn that's sweet over there right <sighs> yeah unbelievable beautiful venue um, I don't know if that's like the, the like I you know I never went to fucking like I don't know I, I went to some shows at CBs but like I don't know if you're looking for like a cooler answer than that, but no, that's no. that. Hey, man, whatever that was comes like the first to mind. That was like yeah. a beautiful place and a cool show. And we could talk about brand new right now, couldn't we? Uh, that's that's just, probably not. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't even want to touch that. Yeah. Um, the the best place or or your favorite place that Incendiary has played outside of New York, be it reaction venue, whatever. <sighs> probably L.A. Yeah. Los Angeles, man. Like our. Yeah, it's always treated us well. Um, we just played the Sound and Fury Fest there yeah. um, a couple months ago, and it was amazing. One of the best shows we've probably ever played. Um, and then I think the time before that, we played LA with No Warning, and it was great. And then a the time before that, we headlined a show. You played with No Warning? Yeah, we played one of their reu- their re- West Coast reunions. They're like a band again. They put out a new record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a full US. I didn't know you played that. But yeah, really we played cool. their first uh, West Coast shows back. Was um, that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we played the time before that. We just did like our own headliner on like a Sunday night. And they were, it was like fucking packed and like one of the best shows we ever we ever played. So like LA is kind of always always held it down for us. And then um, I said it before, but like I, Seattle. Like granted, we only played that Rainfest um, every time we played there, but it was always awesome. I just loved being in that city. Um, that always kind of comes to mind. Both of those fests kind of put... Uh, uh, I don't want to say like smaller, but not like giant headlining bands. Like it's not stacked so, with those types of bands, right? Right. Um, especially Sound and Fury. Um, this year, I think Sound and Fury does um, an exceptional job of making the fest more focused around current active yeah. hardcore bands, okay. not Reunions digging up some like legacy. That. Yeah, 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 you know, because I mean, there was like definitely like a like a pissing contest between the fest about who could get like the craziest reunion band for a while, and like. Definitely got to see some things I never thought I'd see before, but like, you know, I, I was at all those fests and like, I'd be lying if I said that those big high profile reunions were like ever really the highlight. It was always like seeing the, like the new band that kind of like got a sick reaction and like that people were stoked on. That's like, 
those were the sets that like stood out to me not like oh it's crazy that that band's playing again for the first time in 15 years or whatever yeah, yeah for you sure know? cool um okay if you could put a, a tour package together of current bands with incendiary and whomever who would be on that tour package this is tough because i want to like i'd want it to be like good in terms of like good bands and like also like fun friends to like hang out with yeah. um I'm going to say I want to tour with, maybe because we were kind of like talking about this idea, just like abstract, like um, Power Trip from Texas, because they are like the sickest band of all time. It's super fun to hang out with. Um, They are, they're so tight. Yeah. They rip. They absolutely rip. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like breaking, like cro- they're it's like working. They're like crossing over into like the metal world. Southern Lord. Yeah, yeah, they're on tour with fucking Cannibal Corpse right now. Like exec- they are like executioner's doing it. tags. Yeah, that song's freaking great. Yeah, they rip. Um, <laughs> and we've gotten to, we got to play with them a bunch, and they're fun to hang out with. Like cool. So that would them. Um, I want to play like every show in the world with Zabalba from Southern California because they're like our boys. Like they're just like our like we hit it off with them like immediately, um, and then. I don't know. I always, I'm always a fan of like, slight, like, like, like the mixed bill type thing. Yeah. Like, like I love that band Culture Abuse. Have you heard of them? They're kind of newer. Um, I think Epitaph's about to put out a record for them. I, th- I was gonna say. Um, but anyway, they're like a fun kind of like poppy what, rock band. What have they released stuff on? It's like on the tip of my tongue. I don't remember is who it, put out their. Is that Canadian label or no? I think six one three one might have put out their last LP. I could okay. be, I may, might have to may, fact check maybe. me on that, but okay. that band seems super fun. So I think cool. if we could do do that, that would be all right. Let's take that. Um, all right, all time any genre, because I know you like stuff from multiple genres. Yeah. Uh, any band to play with, all time defunct or current that you could play with. Pantera. Sweet. Yeah, like not no brainer. <laughs> okay, cool. And then. The last one I had was like any two songs, again, genre does not matter, that you could cover through Incendiary, uh, what would they be? This is a top, like we we don't decide on, co- we don't really cover shit anymore uh-huh. because like we have a hard time deciding on stuff. Um, one of the ideas we've been kicking around, <clears throat> um, we just need like a reason to do it. Um, remember that song, uh, Bad Habit by Offspring? On like their f- or the big record Smash. I remember Smash, yeah, of course. Yeah, the one that's like, you know, it has like the line like "you stupid dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker." Yeah, 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 yeah. that song we were talking about covering. So I remember that lyric when I was like a kid. Oh, fifth like, grade, yeah, yeah, that blew my mind. That record still holds up. That's like an incendiary like van favorite. All right. Um, <laughs> I even, did not. And Brendan's got that like answer. a high enough, yeah. <laughs> and Brendan's got like a high enough register voice where I think I think it could work. But it's not, the, it's not the type of thing we're going like to break out live. But like if somebody, if there was like a comp or something that we had to recover something for, like I would do that. Um, yeah, his vocals are cool, man. Like they're, they're pretty shrill. Yeah. Like, at, 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 like if I could say like three, like at, at times he almost sounds like, I don't remember his name, but the singer from Verse. At times on the record, he sounds like, like Zach De La Roca. Yeah, we get that a lot. And then at times he's... Maybe people would crucify me for this, but almost like Kill Your Idols, like kind of, it's really? like a shrill kind of. Yeah. Well, the thing with his vocals is like, and I think his vocals is definitely what kind of like makes, like helps the band stand out because it's not just like a low, brutal. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
he screams like like the same and like he's got more control over it now but like he screams his lyrics and for the band the way like he would scream at somebody like cutting him off in traffic yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like he that's like how that's he a, fucking that's screams that's a really at people that's a cool way of, of describing it yeah, yeah. It's not like a voice he's doing. He's not doing like right, a brutal right. metal voice. It's like that's that's how he yells when he gets angry. That's interesting. <laughs> um, I can't think of a second cover, man. That first really? one was like really, yeah, I don't know. Offspring. That's interesting. So yeah, Offspring, Bad Habit. Okay. We, dude, we've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. Damn, really? Yeah, man. It goes quick. Man, we didn't even get to talk shit on people from Long Island yet. Um... I guess we could do that. Nah, no, that'll be that'll, yeah, that'll be part two, maybe. <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, listen. Uh, I loved this. It was awesome catching up. Yeah. Um, how? I guess maybe plug some social media. How can people find the band? How can people find you? Yeah. All that stuff. Um, incendiary at Incendiary HC on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'll link to all that stuff too. Yeah, and just like I don't know, Incendiary on Spotify. That's important. Important. You can take it from there. Awesome. Thanks, dude. This dude, awesome. no problem. This is fun. I'm glad we got to catch up. This is a cool way to do it. Awesome.